to clarify a few things before we continue so that we understand where we have been and where we're going. It's important to talk about the scripture and to make sure that at least our understanding of what we have been speaking about is clear. The first thing that we have stressed, because the scripture stresses it, is the fact that there's one return of Christ. We are waiting for his second coming. There are not um, two different stage of, stages of this or um, two different phases of um, his second coming, but rather there's one coming. And so this is, uh, this is what we long for, this is what we, this is what we wait for. So for anyone who has the uh, misconceived idea that they can uh, go ahead and just wait until the rest of the Christians are raptured away and then they can go ahead and make their decision for Christ, his second coming is it. And we have stressed the fact that it is imminent that it could happen at any hour. The Son of Man, this apocalyptic messianic title given by Daniel, the Son of Man could come at any hour, any day. He could come today. He could come before this day closes, before the sun goes down. And we've heard many uh, sermons and, um, and talks about this growing up in Sunday school, the, the necessity of being ready, that we need to be ready because this whole thing gets wrapped up when he comes back. Are we ready? That's a, that's a huge question. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ to come back if he could come back today? Is your heart prepared? Have you come to a place in your life where you understand that the word repentance has to be applied to your spirit and your heart? There must come a point where you say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, deeply grieved over them. I turn from them and I turn to embrace Christ as my Savior. I shudder to think what life would be like without Christ. We've also said that we live in the age of the Antichrist. There have been many Antichrists. We live in the age of the spirit of the Antichrist. Those who oppose Christ are many who oppose Christ right now. Every time you turn on the internet, or you turn on the TV, or you talk to an unbeliever, language is going to come out that is against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we have said that there is going to be a specific Antichrist, the Antichrist, the man of sin, as uh, Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. The trouble is, we don't know if he's already here or if he is yet to come. Our best guess is that he still has to come, but who is he? We're not sure, and so every generation is kept on their toes. Who is the Antichrist? We're not sure. In the days of Hitler, they thought it could very well be Hitler. We could have talked about Russian leaders like Stalin and many others who... Christians pointed to as possible figures of the Antichrist. 
And so too in our day, we have dictators and we have uh, all sorts of heretics and governmental leaders who could possibly be the Antichrist, but we simply don't know. Could it be the Pope? It's possible. In fact, in the, um, in the Reformation, they identified the Pope as he was the Antichrist, not just an Antichrist, but he was the Antichrist. And so we do not give into the dogmatism of saying that we know for sure that that's the case, but we simply don't know. So there are many antichrists, but there will be, and could even be now, the antichrist. So one return. The return of Christ is imminent. There's a specific antichrist. And we have also said that the, te- the, the scriptures clearly teach that Christians go through persecution. In fact, we said that the great persecution began in 66 to 70 AD and continues even till now. So for hundreds of years, Christians have been going through the great tribulation. God does not always spare his servants from the wrath of man. And so people are put in jail. People are murdered for the name of Christ. This is nothing new. There were many people who were killed and murdered and continued to be put into jail even up until this date. And so we continue to go through this time of great persecution. In the American church, we haven't dealt with a whole lot. But we even see that coming and we see more and more persecution taking place on an individual front through our personal relationships even with other people all around us. To be scorned by those who do not know Christ. To be made fun of by those who do not believe. Those who say, this whole Christ thing of yours is absurd, it's crazy. Get with the times. We live in an incredible age of unbelief. People simply do not believe it is time for an awakening, even in our nation again, for people not to just get moral again. We're not just trying to build patriots here, just good American citizens getting back to the good old days of 200 years ago. And by the way, the good old days of um, 200 and some odd years ago were not so good for some people, namely black people who went through... um, slavery. So we can look with nostalgia and say, weren't all these days in uh, prior, prior years, weren't they just all wonderful and great? Well, there was much wonder and there's uh, the hand of God on our nation. There's no doubt about that, but there's also much tragedy and sin and sadness as we look back even in our own history. So we are not trying to just raise up a moral generation. Good people. That is not not our ultimate aim even as parents. I hope I just raise a good little boy, a good little girl that just grows up to be a good citizen. That's all well and good. But the Christian's heart is, oh Lord, oh Lord, bring my child to you. Make them, cause them, as 1 Peter says, cause them to be born again. May they know you. And that's that's what the scripture is about. That's what this whole teaching is about is, And Jesus is uh, talking about this last age that we live in, enduring to the end, actually knowing God, being saved. 
having the perseverance to endure, continuing on in the midst of seduction, in the midst of entertainment, in the midst of so many voices that are calling to us on a daily basis, simply give up. Be mesmerized by the entertainment of, of the world. And so many are. So many are. How many, how many lives today consist of, listen, how many lives today just consist of people just pursuing that which is so-called fun? Have to go to work, have to uh, get through work, and hopefully I do something that is somewhat enjoyable, but I look forward to after work, to when the real party starts, or when I can get home and simply do nothing, and then that just goes on from day to day to day to day. We live in this age of, uh, of entertainment, of um, falling asleep, falling spiritually asleep. And so this age of the tribulation is not just for a few years, but the age of the tribulation is this entire age that started in the first century and will continue until the return of Christ. There are good days in the history of the church, and there are some pretty terrible days when it comes to persecution. And now Jesus gets in this text to the very end, the end of the end. We've talked about what this age is going to look like before he returns. But what is going to happen right before he returns? Are there, are there any things that we can know, not just that happened down through the centuries? We've talked about false Christs and false prophets and false teachers. We've talked about earthquakes and famines and all of these things that perpetuate through the age. But are there any specific things that happen immediately, within hours of his coming. We said that he can come within hours, the imminency of his return. We're not just saying, well, the Lord's going to come, but he surely couldn't come today. And there's uh, so much to happen that he, he, he can't come for another week or he cannot come for at least another year or five years. His, his coming has to be sometime way in the future. No, no, that's not what the scripture teaches. Be on guard. Be on guard. Continue to watch. Continue to look for his coming. But are there things that are going to happen immediately before he comes? We could talk about all the things that are going to continue to happen in the sweep of this age. But are there things that are going to happen within a matter of hours before he actually literally, bodily, physically appears? The presence of Christ, the parousia, his coming to us again. Jesus uh, gives us some things, and we close this, uh, this series of these three different specific sermons on the last days, things of the last times. If you go to Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, Jesus gives us indicators of exactly what is going to take place immediately prior to his coming. So he says in verse uh, 24 of Mark 13, but in those days, after that tribulation, so let's talk about this for just a second. 
What's he talking about? The tribulation. He's talking about this entire age of tribulation that Christians go through. And so we need to have firm convictions in our homes. Look, I'm going to serve Jesus by his grace. No matter what comes, Lord, I want to put you first. Lord, my, my heart's desire is to know you. My heart's aim is to follow you. It's not to just be in this Christian thing until things get tough. But Lord, would you make my heart one of endurance? Would you make my heart one of perseverance? This is a great prayer to offer up to the Lord. Lord, enable me. You think about this. What are you going to be doing in 10 years? What are you going to be doing in 20? You say, well, we don't have that guaranteed. We don't even have tomorrow guaranteed. That's absolutely true. But this whole notion of, am I going to continue? Am I going to continue in the faith? Is there going to continually be fruit? Or is there going to be those who simply give up along the way? Jesus is saying, be on guard. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Continue on in this. And so we just say to the Lord, Lord, I thank you that, that all of this is not dependent upon me. You've given me your spirit. And so that I trust because I'm secure in you. I, I trust because I have the Holy Spirit and his power residing in me. That you're going to keep me if you keep me on this earth and if you don't return before then. Lord, I believe you're going to keep me in your power for the next year. In fact, um, Peter tells us to grow in the Lord, grow in his grace, continually growing in the Lord. So it's not just a matter of holding on and like, I, I hope that I'm a Christian and just kind of maintain the Christian faith. But the hope is that in 10 years, people say, wow, look at the growth. That person is still pursuing the Lord more passionately than ever before. How beautiful is the one who is older, 70, 80 years old, still passionately pursuing the things of God on their knees before the Lord, if they physically can do it. But in their heart, on their knees, just say, Lord, I, I, I love you and I want to grow in your grace and grow in the knowledge of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To persevere. So Jesus says, but in those days, after the tribulation, after this age, the sun will be darkened. Now, some people have taken this to be uh, symbolic language. This does not seem to be the case. In fact, it's very right to say that this is not symbolic language, but this is actually going to happen. So Jesus is saying, after this age, immediately preceding or coming directly before his appearing, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So if you can imagine in your mind here for just one moment, he is saying that it's going to get dark before he comes. Isn't that something? All of a sudden, listen, the sun gets really dark and the moon goes out, and we know that the light of the moon is reflected. Both lights are going out. 
something's going on. And Jesus is saying, be ready. When you see these things happen, know that I'm coming. This is, this is a good time to repent and get things right with the Lord. As soon as the sun goes out, as soon as it gets abnormally dark, as soon as the light of the moon fades, and notice verse 25, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Jesus is saying that these things are going to happen immediately before he shows up. This is supernatural. Listen, if he caused the world, if we believe this, listen, we believe in a supernatural God. This is not deism. We don't believe that God just made the world and then kind of took a vacation. We believe in a God that's way out there. We kind of go to church every Sunday, worship the God that's way out there, and he doesn't really have much involvement in our life, doesn't really have anything to do with our life. Then we just kind of live our lives independently, and then when we die, we just hope we go to heaven. I hope I go to heaven. I, I, that's the best guess that I have. That's what some would say. Listen, from, from beginning to end of this book, it's supernatural. This whole thing is supernatural. The fact that God says, um, let there be light, we believe that because the Bible said it, and if the Bible says it, it's true. Let there be light, and all of a sudden there appears light simply because he spoke it. That's incredible. That's, that's stunning. So if this same God who created the universe to come into existence, the same God who could uh, order Noah, so you know, I want you to preach to these people for over a hundred years, and while you're doing it, no, by the way, you're not going to have any converts, nobody's going to listen, they're all going to make fun of you. Because uh, while you're doing this, while you have a preaching ministry, I also want you to build a massive boat. I want you to build a boat, and then I'm going to flood the earth. I say, well, that couldn't have really happened. I mean, a boat? I mean, do we still believe this stuff? Absolutely. It's what the Bible teaches. It's absolutely true. In fact, in a um, uh, number of weeks here, our family is going to be traveling, and one of the things we get to do is we're going to go visit uh, a modern replica of the ark that has been built. We're going to tour that with the exact same dimensions. We know what the dimensions of the ark were. And by the way, it wasn't like a little speedboat. It's like a massive ship. People say, well, how could they get all those animals on the boat? How's that even possible? That can't be possible. The, the, the earth shaking, the stars falling. Listen, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. And the fact that uh, we live in an age that's kind of like, oh, well, now that's kind of interesting, I guess. Interesting myth. Interesting how many uh, scholars I've been recently studying down through the ages, liberal scholars have rejected all this stuff. They've rejected it all. Oh, there can't be any supernatural things that actually happen in the Bible. These all have to be, no, they just, they're simply myths. That's all these are. These are just fairy tales. We're just, we're, just in a, we're just in church for a nice little story time every Sunday. 
past week I was um, driving, and um, maybe you've even seen this. I didn't notice it, but as I was at the stoplight, uh, one of the stoplights in Wilkes-Barre, Rick was sitting next to me, and he looks over, and next to one of the, the street lights, at the bottom of the street light is a pile of what must have been a, th a thousand or more dead moths. Big, huge pile. In fact, it looked just like fluffy niceness or something, but it was, it was, it was, it was bugs. And I think you could stuff that pillows with that or something. Anyway, okay. So, so you have the, this light post and these, these things are flying around this light post. And if you've driven through Wilkes-Barre at night, you see them like whirling around thousands, thousands of them. As I began to think about that this past week and doing some writing on this, thinking about how this is all a lot like all these liberal theologians. They're all mesmerized by this book that they don't believe. How many Christians uh, know the power of the book that we have, but here, here are these, these liberal uh, speakers, these liberal talkers, well, that's not really true. That's not really what the Bible says. And they circle the light of Scripture only to fall. And listen, they've fallen by the thousands only to be swept away into the uh, dustbin of unbelief. Listen, when we worship here, this is what Jesus is teaching us here. He's real. There was a man named 2,000 years ago, and there have been many scoffers who have come and they've gone, and all their names have been swept away. We don't even remember most of their names. But his word remains. And here we are 2,000 years later listening to this because it's true. It's withstood the test of time. Jesus is absolutely incredibly predicting exactly what's going to happen immediately before he comes. So he says the sun is going to be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Wayne Grudem says this about this text. He says, given these facts, it seems unlikely, unlikely that the descriptions of the falling stars from heaven and the darkening of the sun and moon are merely symbolic language. He says that's, that's not the case. They're not just, this is, there is symbolic language in the scripture and there, there's symbolic language all through Revelation, but that's not what's going on here. This is not symbolic language. He goes on to write this, it is better to regard them as literal signs that will occur just before Christ's return. They could occur very quickly within the space of a few minutes or at most an hour or two to be followed immediately by Christ's return. So Jesus is saying this is literal. These are actually going to happen. They'll probably happen within the space of an hour or two before he comes. And the prayer is that many people would finally say, Lord, we're so sorry for ignoring you. We're so sorry for just continuing in our hard-hearted ways, not really paying attention to you, going on in life as if you didn't even really exist at all. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for that, for that unbelief in our life. His return is going to be one of judgment. Judgment. 
This unbelieving world, this, this world that has no interest in Christ, this world that continues to sin, this world is not going to get away with it. And so we have a, we have a choice to make. Who are we going to fear? Who, who are we going to stand in awe of and respect of? The current age, which tells us what we are to believe? Or are we going to continue to believe in Jesus Christ who says this is the truth and walk in this way, this is the right way to walk in? But judgment is coming and it's going to come swiftly when he returns. If you turn over to Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, We're going to start in verse 12, read through verse 14. This is also describing the, the time of Christ coming back. We'll even go a little bit further than verse 14. But when he opened up the sixth seal, this is Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. When he opened up the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun becomes black as sackcloth, the full moon becomes like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. You think about the, uh, the hymn that has that, the sky being rolled up like a scroll. This is where it comes from. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains because when Christ comes, listen, he comes with judgment. And these people, all these prominent people, these less prominent people, all these people throughout the earth, millions upon millions who have arrayed themselves against Christ, who want nothing to do with him, you would think that they would come to him in repentance. You think as soon as these things begin to happen, people would begin to go, you know what, I was wrong. I tell you what, I didn't realize that this was all going to happen. I am so sorry. This is why any, any picture of uh, hell that's with a bunch of people in hell going, Lord, we're so sorry, we repent, we went out, and God's up in heaven going, no, I want you there. That's not the picture of hell at all. People going, we don't want anything to do with God. We're in torment. We hate this here, but we don't want him. We don't want God. We don't want his son, Jesus Christ. And this is exactly, notice what they do here in verse 16. Instead of calling out in repentance, instead of saying to the Lord, we, we need you, we ask you for mercy, they're calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? It is going to be an awful day for those who don't believe when the Lord comes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Verse 5. So 
Here these are, we've said that the age of persecution continues throughout this entire span, but immediately prior to Christ's coming, these signs begin to happen. The signs, the cosmic signs in the sky begin to take place. The judgment of God appears. Verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So the picture is very clear. The Lord is coming. It's going to be a visible coming. It's one coming. It's going to be a loud and noisy coming. And when he comes, it's going to be a time of judgment. But notice his appearance in verse 26 of Mark 13. Verse 26. And when they see the Son of Man, this comes from uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, this title of the Son of Man. He's coming in the clouds. Now, Acts chapter 1, if you go over to Acts chapter 1, all of this is um, right here in the text. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, And when he had said these things, this is Jesus, at the very end of his earthly ministry, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud, notice, a cloud took him out of their sight. So two angels are standing there, verse 10, and notice what they say to them in verse 11. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He leaves with a cloud. He leaves as the disciples are watching Jesus. Another supernatural event. What happened to Jesus at the end of 40 days, at the end of his ministry? There he is. He's teaching his disciples. And all of a sudden he lifts up. And the Bible says they're all, they're all just standing there watching him. This is an amazing event. This is the man who is worth giving your life for. This is a man worth following. This, this, this man who they had watched heal the sick, raise the dead. Then they saw him as he was crucified, an act of complete love for us. The crucified man, the crucified Savior, buried. All hope seems lost, and all of a sudden he rises again and proves himself to them. I am the one who I told you I was. I am the Messiah. And he lifts up, and he disappears in a cloud. And Jesus says, when I come again, I'm going to come back in a cloud just as I left with great power in glory. What a, what a marvelous sight. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says his appearance is so that we can marvel at him. So imagine you have uh, blackness. All of a sudden things get dark. 
the fury of God's judgment has been falling. People are saying, what is going on here? All of a sudden, all hell is, is breaking loose upon the earth. All of a sudden, the sky gets dark. And from a distance, Jesus appears. In fact, it says, and they will see the Son of Man. How are we going to see? Well, all of a sudden, he comes from a distance. It's interesting how people all around the globe can see certain stars. And Jesus, this is a magnificent coming. He's coming from quite a distance. And as he comes, the whole world is, is watching. Some are reeling in horror and hatred. But believers have been longing for this coming. Notice uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 16, notice, notice the way he comes. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. This is, this is no secret coming. This is loud. This is noisy. This is huge. This is cosmic. With the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And here's Jesus brilliantly coming. Revelation chapter 1. Flip over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 16. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. The end of it, it says, in his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes at the trumpet sound. Lift your voice. We, we hear this song, his face shining like the sun. So here's darkness, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears. His appearance is marvelous. His appearance is spectacular. This is huge. Listen, we were made for big things. Not a little Messiah who just wins a few people down through the centuries, but we were made for a cosmic God, the God who created this whole universe and the God who is going to bring this whole thing to an end. So Jesus says before he comes, he is going to cause all of these different signs to happen in the sky. And then all of a sudden he's going to appear and uh, the whole world is going to be watching as, as Jesus comes. But notice what happens to us. Jesus tells us exactly what happens to us. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. So these signs are happening. All of a sudden Christ appears. We see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect. Who's the elect? Every person who is um, a chosen one, one who has been bought and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. These are believers. If you are a believer, you are one of the elect. And he sends out his angels to gather the elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. First Thessalonians, we're doing some hopping around today, but if this will help flesh this out a little bit about exactly what is going on here. If you go over to First 
Thessalonians chapter 4. Thessalonians chapter 4. So Christ comes. He's going to gather his elect. So he comes down. He has the, uh, the cry, like uh, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet. And then the end of verse 16. Notice what uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So here's what happens. The Lord comes back, and all of those who have been buried through the ages, who know Christ, and we stand over the caskets of loved ones, we look at them, and then they get buried into the ground. We say, what happens to them? We know that if they know Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. But when the Lord comes back with the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet, the dead in Christ shall rise first. All of a sudden, graves are going to begin to open up all over this world. Millions of believers who have believed from Adam all the way up until he comes, all of a sudden, dead bodies will be coming out of the ground in beautifully new glorified bodies, and they will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And then it says something else here. It's incredible. Then verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the dead in Christ rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we don't disappear, but we actually come back to earth to rule and to reign with him. This is actually an ancient picture when a uh, military uh, dignitary or, or kingly ruler would come to a city, would be coming back to his city, they would send out a greeting contingent to meet him. And then they would escort the king back to the city. So the king is coming and there's a big greeting party that meets him. And then the greeting party and the king goes back to the city. John uh, Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, wrote this beautifully said. If he is about to descend, on what account shall we but be caught up? For the sake of honor. For when a king drives into a city, those who are in honor go out to meet him. But the condemned await the judge within. So those who are celebrating his coming go out to meet him. Those who are condemned remain where they are at. And upon the coming of an affectionate father, his children, indeed, and those who are worthy to be his children, are taken out in a chariot that they may see and kiss him. But those of the domestics who have offended remain within. We are carried up upon a chariot to our father, for he received him up in the clouds, and we shall be caught up in the clouds. Seest thou how great is the honor and as he descends, we go forth to meet him. And what is more blessed than all? So we shall be with him. So the picture is, as the Lord comes and we meet him in the air, we're the greeting party. That's where this whole idea comes from. It's not to then just go off and there we go, but it's then to continue with him back to this earth to rule and to reign 
And so Jesus Christ is very clear in what is going on here. He's saying these things are going to happen immediately preceding my coming. There's going to be great judgment. Some are going to repent. In fact, Israel, the nation of Israel, when they see him, the Bible says that they are going to mourn. Zechariah chapter 12, they are going to mourn over the one whom they have pierced. And many will be saved and repent. And the prayer is that as he's coming, many will turn to him, but many will not. And after he comes, the door is shut. The ark door is shut. It is too late. So Jesus comes to us and he clearly says to us today, I come and I'm coming quickly. Are you ready? That's the question. And if you're not ready today, if talk about this, you, you're sitting here and you go, well, if the Lord came today, I'm not, I'm not ready. Judgment comes, last chance, this is the last chance. There are many people who are going to repent and see him at his coming and follow after him, but many are not. Once he comes, that's it. We then go into the millennium and there's no more, there's no more chances. And so the Spirit of the Lord would say to the one who does not know Christ today, today is the moment of salvation. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day to come to Him. But for those of us who know Him, because of uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, we anticipate His coming with great joy. And our hearts say today, even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, would you come today? Would you come today? And we worship Him. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? If I could ask the band if they would please...